Tonight's Bible reading is from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please open it up uh, to the fourth gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you in this capacity again. uh, I trust that you're comfortable, uh, that you have God's Word open in front of you. Uh, We're going to trek through this together. We're starting our series in the Gospel of John. Before we do, though, uh, it is I love to pray before we start. And so please pray with me. Our good and gracious God, uh, we thank you for sending Jesus. Uh, We thank you that he became a man and walked this world and is now ascended with you in glory. Father, we pray that as we open this gospel, the gospel of John, that you speak powerfully through it. You speak your truth through me. And I pray particularly for my brothers and sisters across the screen here, that you are with them. And even though we are physically distant, that we are present in spirit together and that you'll be working through your Holy Spirit to draw us into likeness of Christ and to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm sure you can remember, it's not that long ago, but those times uh, pre-lockdown where you could go uh, to another person's home. I know it seems a bit like a dream, but remember when you went to someone's home uh, for the first time, and as you go into that person's home, uh, you start to look across the walls and you see the pictures uh, that are on the wall. Now, when I started dating Elizabeth and I went to her home for the first few times, she always used to take her pictures um, of school down from the wall. Uh, she thought her school photos were horrendous, um, which was, was quite funny. But when we go to people's homes, we like to look at the pictures on the wall because they start to tell us about this family. They start to tell us about the relationships and the stories and the memories which are part of who this family or group of people is that live in those homes. And in a similar way, this gospel, uh, and particularly, sorry, this this introduction, this prologue, is doing a similar thing for us. It's giving us a bit of a a window, a bit of an insight into what this whole gospel is about. 
giving us uh, some of the themes and particularly introducing us to this person of Jesus and, and the story uh, which this gospel is going to be about. And as we trek through, some of those pictures that we see here are going like, to come to life uh, as they do as we get to know a family and as we look at their pictures on the wall. But in this series, we have called it Light and Life. Uh, as we go through it together, you'll realize why it is called Light and Life uh, by the end of the series. Uh, we're going to explore just the first six chapters of John together across this term. And I think, especially coming off the back of Acts uh, in this season of lockdown, I'm really excited to get face-to-face with Jesus again, look at him uh, through the Word and just be inspired by who he is and for us to grow in our faith and what it means for us to grow in our allegiance and our affections for him. Uh, so that's our hope and prayer as we go through John together. But for those of us who are familiar with this gospel you'll know it's a little bit different. It's a bit different to the the previous uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because uh, it gives a bit of a different perspective. It's talking about the same person, but John includes things that the others didn't include uh, and vice versa, Uh, but it's still true. It's just like a different perspective, and that perspective is quite unique and helpful. Kind of like if you were going to investigate the city of Sydney, say, And if you were to go up in a helicopter and you saw the city from above and you looked at it and you could see all the things that were going on, compared to if you walked the streets and you walked the alleyways and you went into the cafes and the businesses and the restaurants, you get a different feel. Still true, but a different perspective. And that's what's going on here in the Gospel of John. Which kind of raises the question, well, what is is the purpose of this Gospel? Uh, What is John trying to do for us here? Now, he's actually really kind, well, the author is, and he uh, ex- explains his purpose to us directly in, Acts, in John, still in Acts here, in John chapter 20. And I'll just read for you verse 31, uh, where he says, All these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So straight there, at the back end, the author gives us his two purposes. First, he wants us to believe, wants us to have our faith and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, kind of to foster faith. But then he has that second kind of purpose, uh, which is that by believing you may have life. And then that life, that believing in him is like a continual thing. And you continue to believe and continue to have life. It's not just a a one-off thing but uh, continue to have life. And he talks about that a bit in John chapter 15, about you abiding in Jesus, uh, continuing to draw life from him. So they're the two things, belief, life. The last thing that I want to touch on before we like, dig into uh, the gospel properly uh, is the author. Now, now, most of us have grown up thinking uh, that it's probably John, the son of Zebedee, maybe, uh, but much to your amazement, it might not be John. could be a different John, might be Lazarus, might be all sorts of uh, different people. Um, I'm not going to go into the discussion here, and in a sense, it's, it's neither here nor there. If you would like to know a bit more about that discussion, though, uh, in our Zoom meeting today, like on prayer uh, after this, jump onto that, and after we pray, I can take you through some of the authorship uh, discussion there. But for our purposes and what we're doing in John, we actually get some really unique and really helpful things about who the author is, irrespective of his name. Because he tells us at the back end of the book that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
Now, that's really important information. This disciple whom Jesus loved comes up a bunch in the second half of this gospel. Uh, And from what we learn about him, he's someone who has a really deep, kind of brotherly, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus. He's like a best mate of his. He's like the one that leans against Jesus in the supper, like, Jesus, tell me the guy who's going to betray you, mate. Or when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he tells his mother Mary uh, and to the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is now your mother. So Jesus' mother becomes this disciple's mother. So this disciple, the one who's written these events for us, is a really intimate connection with Jesus. It's kind of like if you were to ask, for whatever reason, you wanted an account of my life, um, and you wanted a, a personal one, you're going to ask Elizabeth, right? She's the one who's going to give you that quite in detailed account of, of who I am. She knows me the best. And that's what this author gives to us. And he's going to draw out the important signs and the important things about Jesus' character and his life uh, for us so that we can believe in him and have life. So with those things said, uh, we can jump in uh, to John chapter 1. I do hope you have your Bible in front of you. We're going to trek through the verse 18 verses. And as I was kind of saying at the beginning, there's those two kind of things that are drawn out here. Who Jesus is, the story of Jesus, and the themes of John. And we're going to explore those two things together. But I think there's no better place to start than the iconic verses of of, uh, chapter 1 here. And I'll read them again, the first three. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In some ways, these are just the most beautiful and simple verses. Yet at the same time, somehow they are the most deep and complex verses. It's kind of like, in the Gospel of John, particularly here, it's kind of like the ocean, where a child can wade into the shallow, beautiful waters of the beach, but yet you can plumb the depths of the ocean and never really get there, never get to the end. That's kind of what goes on in this prologue and in some ways in the whole Gospel of John. That beautiful simplicity, but depth. Now, I think the word, though, that really jumps out to us at the beginning is the word for word. Now, it's not written there, but the Greek word for it is uh, logos. Now, we know that this word is referring to Jesus. Uh, We've had it read to us. Uh, We know that the word is referring to Jesus. But it kind of makes you ask the question, well, if it's Jesus, why does the author here, why does John, I'll just refer to him as John, Why does he decide to use the word logos? Now, for us as 21st century Christians, or Australians, I should say, sorry, this is a classic example of something that's lost in translation. You know, if you're chatting with someone who uh, speaks English as a second language, and they're chatting to you, and they're like, oh, I just want to say this word to you, but there's no equivalent in English, really. That's kind of what is this word logos here. So we have to do a bit of a dive into first century Greek culture and then also in the Old Testament to try to draw out uh, the the beauty and the depth of this word. So firstly for the Greeks, this word logos, it represented a couple of things. It was kind of this overall rational principle of life, principle of the world, thing that kind of underpinned the universe. 
the concept that kind of made all things work. That's logos. Or in other uh, Greek thought, logos represented like reason or logic. Logos, logic, that's where we're getting it from. It's kind of this overall grand big idea, this concept that underpins things, it's rationality, it's reason, but it's something that's like way out there. It can only really be conceived in the mind. It's certainly not a person. And that's what's logos for the Greeks. For the Hebrews, though, the, the Jews who wrote and understood and read the Old Testament, what they called the scriptures, it's a bit different. Logos immediately reminds them of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is quite a dynamic concept. Because if you know, we're all the way back to getting in Genesis. What does the Word of God do? It speaks things. He speaks things into existence. The Word of God is powerful. Out of the Word of God, like stars are formed, galaxies are formed. And then all the way down to like our DNA and atoms. The Word of God in itself brings life. And then the Word of God also has power and it has authority because He speaks through the prophets and gives the law. But he also gives judgments and he speaks hope. Like this word of God is incredible, but it's a word. It's, it's like this self-expression of God. And I think Don Carson summarizes it really quite well when he says logos is like the self-expression of God. And so John here, right at the beginning, he's appealing to those two kind of things. What was in the Greek thought and what was in the Jewish thought about this idea of logos. But in both cases, it's not a person. It's more of an idea, more of a concept, a power. But then what does John say? The Logos becomes a person. Given a, talking about he, him. We know it goes on to talk about him as Jesus. Now John reveals more things about this word and says that from in the beginning... Now, we know as readers that when we think of the words in the beginning, if we didn't have these ones going through our head, we'd be saying in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what John is saying about the word here is that he was around at creation. So unlike Luke and Matthew, who start with Jesus' birth, John's going, whoa, whoa, no, let's go, let's go further back to creation. The word was around at that point. Jesus pre-incarnate, before he became uh, conceived in the Virgin Mary, existed. But then more than that, it says, verse 3, that all things are made through him. Now, to do a little bit of philosophical work here, if all things are made through Jesus, then he cannot be made. If everything that is made is made through him, he can't be made. Now, we can understand that it's kind of like... Oh, a watch is made by a watchmaker. Obviously, the watch precedes the watchmaker. Uh, sorry, vice versa. The, the watchmaker precedes the watch. But this is saying that Jesus existed prior to creation. If all things are made through him, then he has to exist prior to all things being made. Jesus existed in eternity past. Now, that is... Like, I wish I had a really good illustration to give to you there about what it means to live in eternity past. But there isn't really any. Well, I, I couldn't think of one. Except for God. God is the only kind of thing that we can have to understand what it means to exist in eternity past. And that's exactly where John goes, isn't it? Because what does he say? 
the word was with God and the word was God. Now, grammatically, that is a super easy sentence. With God, was God. In fact, uh, I studied Greek at uh, college. And before you've even really done much Greek at all, they get you to translate some of the Bible and they give this verse as the first thing to translate. Apparently, this is the easiest thing to translate in the whole Bible. But yet, as soon as you start to actually think about what's being said, like your mind is blown. Because the word is with God. That means that he's like kind of beside God, as it says in verse 18. It's kind of sounding like it isn't God, but it's with God. Yet, it also was God. So the word is God. In our minds, it doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of saying there is two persons of the one God here. Now, you're beginning, if you're around church for a while, thinking of the Trinity. And then as it goes into ver- in chapter 14, we haven't read that, and 16, we read about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, to understand God in three persons is, is a mind-boggling, crazy, unimaginable concept, other than God revealed himself in that way. And it's part of just the beauty of our God, that he re- allows us to understand him so far. And he says, that's what you need to know. I'm more complex than your minds can understand. But he does reveal himself to us. And so that's the, the cool thing that we learn about from those first three verses. That the word has a personal identity. He's eternal and he is God. But then as you read in, cha- in verse 14, it said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Like that word, that, that logos that we were talking about has taken on flesh, like lived among us. The eternal word of God becomes a person. Like in the concept of, of what we were talking about with logos, that is a crazy, unimaginable, mind-boggling thing. But it's also very intriguing and comforting because the word there among us It's picking up the Old Testament language of tabernacle. It's the same word that is used in Exodus, or same construction of the word that's used in Exodus to describe the tabernacle. And the purpose of the tabernacle was to represent the presence of God. It housed the manifest presence of God. So with Jesus kind of tabernacling amongst us, this is saying that God's presence is now here on earth in a person. God's perfect presence is now perfectly represented is Jesus in flesh. And what John is saying here is that if you want to know what the mind of the universe is like, if he were, if God were and the, the rational principle, the, the thing that holds all things together, the, the person who is behind all things knows all things, You want to know what it would be like for him to walk, what it would be like to talk with him, what it would be like for him to to act and to think, to feel, to be? You want to know what that thing, what that person would be like if he became a man? This is Jesus. This is who he is. He walked in our shoes. He walked this earth before us. And John is saying here, we have the perfect and exact representation of God as a human. Now, we learn heaps about the character of God through these verses and who he is, who Jesus is. We also learn things about the mission of God, about being incarnate and, and, and those kind of things. 
But just reading this, it just calls us to go, wow. God, this is incredible. And to worship him. To go, wow, and to worship God. Because it's like, this cannot... I know if, if you hadn't grown up with this, you, this is crazy. This is an incredible concept. It's calling us to stand in awe and to be amazed, to worship our God. Now, at the end of the service, we'll sing the song, What a Beautiful Name It Is. And the start of that song, you'll hear it just echoing some of the words of John here. And for us to just to stand and, and worship our great God that way. Singing is a beautiful way to worship God. But we know worship with Him is also throughout the week. It's, a, it's an everyday kind of activity, just praising Him for His goodness and His kindness, praising Him when things are really good, praising Him when things are really hard, worshiping Him for who He is, celebrating all the wonderful things that He does and even just the feelings and the, and the taste that we can experience. Like Elizabeth made a caramel slice the other day. In isolation, that was, that was glorious. But even, even in that moment, you just go, God, you are incredible. Like you would allow us to have all these ingredients that then you give us the minds to be able to put them together in such a way and then the taste buds to taste this thing. God, you are incredible. Just a small way to worship him, all the way up to just the incredible ways to worship God where you just lay it all before him, knowing he is king, Lord of all, surrendering your life to him. When we are faced with a picture of God, picture of the Father, and particularly the Son, Jesus, we're just called to worship him. But John also introduces us uh, to a couple of other things about Jesus, and particularly those themes which are then picked up uh, throughout the book. And you can see here, I'm going to pick up the themes of light and life, uh, and you know, I've just plagiarized them for this uh, series. But have a look here, verse 4 and 5. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then it goes on, verses 6 through 8, talking about John the Baptist and how he isn't the light, but he witnesses to the light. We'll see a lot of witness going on in this gospel. And then verse 9, the true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. So what does it mean that Jesus is the light? What kind of light does he bring? Now, when you just think about normal light that we're in, it reveals things, doesn't it? When the light is turned on, it reveals things. Like say you go into your home and it's dark. What do you do? You turn the light on. It immediately removes the darkness so that you can see. If you have a messy house or a clean house, it then reveals the truth of whether your house is clean or messy. So that's the other thing that Jesus reveals is that he reveals the truth. But then Jesus also being the light, he reveals the way. Because when the lights are on, you can see the light leads you, guides you. If you don't have the lights on, you're going to kick your head, you're going to bump your foot, you're going to walk somewhere where you shouldn't go, you're going to have no idea what's going on unless the light leads you, unless the light is on. Leading you away from what is dark, taking away what is dark. And that's kind of what verse 5 is talking about, that Jesus overcomes the darkness. Now, darkness here is personified as evil throughout uh, the book. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's revealing the truth. He's leading us in the way of life, overcoming darkness, leading us away from evil. The second thing is that Jesus is and he brings life. His very being is life and he brings life 
to us. Now, life in the context of the book of John is kind of similar to what goes on in the idea of the kingdom of God in the other Gospels, except a little bit different. Because it's talking about like spiritual life or eternal life. Now, when we hear that, we immediately think, okay, life when, when we die. All right? That's when eternal life begins. No, no, eternal life, spiritual life begins now. In this moment, when Jesus came, that's when life came into the world. Right? Now, we can think that it is just for when we die. But if you've come through youth group in this church, or you're a youth group leader, you'll know what's on your shirt, besides youth at NBC, John 10.10. 10. Jesus comes that we may have life and have it to the full. That begins now and then into eternity. Of course, we're waiting for the eternal life where it's full and glorious and, and awesome when Jesus uh, returns and takes us home. But we are not just holding our breath in this moment waiting for that life. Jesus comes and he brings us that life now. And what that means is that true life cannot be found outside of Jesus. True life, true direction, knowing God, it is not fully found in the world. Only, Jesus, only in Jesus can we find and have true, fulfilling life. Friends, I know that myself and I know that we, we are tempted. Tempted consciously and subconsciously by the things of this world, which kind of promise us that fulfilling life. Like on my Instagram reels at the moment, I'm new to Instagram, as you might know, I still don't know what I'm doing. But on there, it, at the moment, amongst the, the friends and the soccer videos and stuff that just wastes your time, is like fitness videos and motivational things. It must be trying to say something to me, I'm not sure. But like, I, I wonder what's on your feed. Like what kind of messages are being fed to you? Because those messages are feeding us the idea that this is the way to fulfilling life. This is only the life that we have, this one that you can feel, touch, be right now. That's the only life available. And this, through whatever means as it's telling you, is how to have life, how to have fulfilling life. Don't be fooled, friends. Don't be fooled. Don't get sucked into the lie that true fulfillment can be found somewhere that's not Jesus. Because Jesus is the true source of life. And when we see the life, our life through his eyes, that we see the blessings and the way of life in the correct way, in the way that is fulfilling. Because things outside Jesus do not lead to life. That is the world of darkness. And in that way, John here is kind of preempting the choice that we all have. He's preempting the way that uh, people have responded to either reject Jesus and stay in darkness or believe in Jesus and come to be a child of God in the light. I'll read for you again verses 9 to 13 because he says, The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, the world just being people at this point. But then he came to what was his own, but his own did not receive him, talking about his own being the Israelites. Yet to all who did believe in him, so whether Israelite, whether people of the world, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor a human decision, nor a husband's will, 
but born of God. Now that is a really beautiful thing and we'll explore some of the complexities that goes on in that little section there as we explore. But what John is laying before us is the options. Rejecting or believing and accepting Jesus. Now at this point of the gospel, John isn't saying whether or not to make a decision. It's only right at the beginning. But he's saying these are the options that people before you have made. These are the options that are before you. A bunch didn't accept him and a bunch did. Now the invitation is for us to seek Jesus. If you're not a Christian yet and you're wondering who Jesus is, you're wondering how to make sense of this world, you're wondering you know, what it means that God became a person, you may have heard about him, you're questioning him in the midst of this COVID situation, seek Jesus. The Gospel of John is a wonderful place to start. But yeah, we're encouraging to investigate. Have, have an open mind. Be critical. Ask your questions. Please, ask your questions. Explore who Jesus is and what it means that he claims that he is life and that he brings light to the world. But the invitation is also for, for the Christian, for those that call like Nawi, this church, your home. Because believing in Jesus is a thing, whether you've done it for a day or been doing it for 80 years. The offer and the invitation to seek Jesus and to find him is, is a thing we do throughout our whole life. We don't get it here, but that word believing there, it has the idea of being uh, present and continuous. That means that it, it's a, a thing you do now and that you continue to do. Because believing in Jesus is a continuous thing that we do. So please continue to seek Jesus. We continue to seek Jesus in every season of life. But can I encourage you, particularly in this season of COVID, amongst the fear and amongst the isolation that we're experiencing in this lockdown, seek Jesus. And what's kind of different about this moment compared to like 2019, which is just as important to seek Jesus, is that a general rule, we have more time. We generally have more time. And so the reason that I've put up and the reason that I hear a lot of us put up is we don't have time. That reason now is kind of pushed to the side, isn't it? And I know isolation is the motivating. That's why Instagram are chucking up things up at me, apparently. I know it's hard to kind of get things going. It can be frustrating. It's scary at points. But it does present us with an opportunity. And one of the opportunities is that we get to stop and have more time. Time to seek Jesus. Time to be with him. Time to enjoy him. Time to know what it means to, to commune and, and, and have life in him. So can I please encourage you, friends, and please encourage me too, to not waste this season of lockdown. Take up God's invitation through the gospel of John to seek Jesus. Like not just on Sundays, like this is a wonderful way to do that. And please keep coming and this is a wonderful thing to do together. But seek Jesus. Now, I love to encourage you, just, just read your Bible. Read your Bible and pray. I don't want to be the preacher that, you know, just the narrow application and, you know, bang you over the head, read the Bible. That's not what I'm doing here. This is, like Christianity is simple in that sense. 
God has given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit to understand who he is and, and connect with God. Like never in history have we, we had more access to the word of God. You can get it in this zipper form. You can get it in beautiful prints. You can get it in these alabaster Bibles now, which have all sorts of creative things going on. You get study Bibles. You have audio books. You, you have it soft copy in your pocket. Like we have unprecedented access to the Bible. So set yourself some realistic goals and read and connect with God. Like other ideas, you just sit in the, or go for a walk and, and pray. Sit in the sun or go to a place which is good for you, whatever place that may be, and pray. Like call a friend and talk about your faith. Don't just wait till you get to a home group and the home group leader breaks you off in the breakout rooms and you get to answer your couple questions and share about your life. Like draw or do journals or if you're into making videos, make videos, write poetry, write music, whatever it may be that helps you connect with God and his word. Connecting with Father, Son and Spirit. That is who our God is. And what I'm saying is just do things that you enjoy and can, can help you connect with God. Because friends, this opening of John is an incredible declaration of who Jesus is the eternal word who is God among us. And it offers us the reason to worship him and also the invitation to seek him and continue to believe in him. Now, every, opportunity, every season presents the opportunities to seek and connect with God, to seek and worship Jesus. Please use this one to seek and to find him. Please let me pray. God, Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you reveal yourself through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Please draw us to meet with you. And as we meet with you, please meet us where we're at. Help us to be honest before you. Please answer our questions and help us to be able to know who you really are. May we see Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God who is light and brings life. We ask this in his name. Amen. We're now going to have a time of communion.